the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. One of the things that makes it difficult for Christians in this world to receive the untruncated gospel and why it is difficult to advance God's kingdom is that men are lovers of themselves. That's not our basic need or premise or foundation upon which we build our love for God and man. That is the biggest obstacle on our path to loving God and to loving man. When it comes to freedom, we as Christians have been set free indeed, says the Word of God. But that freedom comes with boundaries, and it is those boundaries we are looking at this week here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Hi there, and welcome to the program. We invite you to spend time with us here in Galatians chapter 5 as we take a look at this freedom that we have in Christ and the boundaries that God has set within that freedom. Boundaries that are designed to really enhance the freedom we've been given in Christ, mainly that of love. Here's Pastor Gary with more. The Bible says if you give a drink of water to a man dying of thirst and he's a murderer or some type of criminal and he's on the run from the law and you make it easier for him to escape the law by giving him a drink of water, you become an accomplice to his crime. But other than things similar to this, your neighbor is anyone God sets in your path who is in need. Now, what is it to love your neighbor? Because we have been freed by Christ, not to exploit him, but to love him. Well, first of all, remember the perfections of love found in 1 Corinthians 13. This is a great passage of Scripture. Let me read a few verses to you from 1 Corinthians 13, which is a picture of what Christian love is. And keep in mind, there is no other love than this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I will read verses 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Those are the perfections of a loving man's and woman's life. This love we have for one another includes deep affection, self-sacrificing tenderness, genuine sympathy, readiness to render assistance, 
a yearning to promote our neighbor's welfare and a spontaneous giving of ourselves and forgiving other people when they hurt our feelings. What is our incentive for loving other people like that? The gratitude we have to God for loving us unto salvation, for providing for us because of his love, with redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do we get the strength to love like that? We get it from the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives when we are born again, enabling us to will and to do God's good pleasure. And what is the pattern, the model we look to to know how to love other people in terms of 1 Corinthians 13, it is, of course, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice specifically what Paul commands us to do here, and he is here quoting Jesus. It says in verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in one statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you have the New American Standard Version, you see that that is all in capital letters, indicating that it is a quote. So let's go back to Matthew 22 to see when Jesus originally said this. Now, of course, you know the gist of this particular situation. Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence... They gathered themselves together, and one of them, a lawyer, asks him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. So he is saying that one of the boundaries, one of the manifestations of being true Christian, of being free man in Christ or a free woman, is that you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's that phrase that we're going to look at for just a few minutes. The Lord willing, we're going to look at loving your neighbor as yourself next week as well because of the massive movement some among churches of all kinds today, Protestant, Catholic, Reformed, Evangelical, and others, that say, listen carefully, that say you cannot love God or your neighbor until you love yourself. They say loving yourself is the basis for loving other people. And in a couple of weeks, I'm also going to preach a whole sermon on the false self-love, self-esteem, and self-worth doctrine. But notice what Jesus said. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what did he mean by that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Does that mean that you have to start loving yourself in order to love your neighbor? Well, one of the most astute explanations of what Jesus meant by that was written in a commentary some 500 years ago by a Frenchman named John Calvin. Listen to what he said. This is so wise. 
He's telling us now what Jesus meant when he said, Paul, love your neighbor as yourself. And Calvin said, you would think he had, in fact, I say that Calvin probably had been reading in horror some of our self-love books that we have in Christian bookstores today. Because he said, the love which men naturally cherish toward themselves ought not to regulate the love of our neighbor. Others argue that the love of self must always hold first rank. This was four or five hundred years ago. He said, this is not to interpret, but to subvert our Lord's words. We shall never love our neighbors with sincerity according to our Lord's intention until we have corrected the love of ourselves. To have two affections, love your neighbor and love for yourself, are opposite and contradicting. For the love of ourselves leads us to neglect and despise others. Now here is his brilliant statement in this. O Lord, therefore, enjoins that it be changed into the love of your neighbor. He says, Jesus commands us when he says, love your neighbor as yourself to change our love for self into a love for our neighbor. In other words, to turn ourselves inside out. All of that intense care and love and concern we show for our own health and our own welfare and well-being is to be changed and directed no longer to ourselves, but toward our neighbors with the same intensity and the same care and with the same earnestness. Now notice what Jesus said. When asked what is the greatest commandment, he said, first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, and mind, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, what did he mean? Well, I'll tell you one thing he didn't mean, and this is a quote from a man named Walter Trobisch. In a book called, and he's a Christian, Love Yourself, published by InterVarsity Press. Mr. Trobisch said, one of the great, he's one of the great self-love preachers said, love is thus the prerequisite and the criterion for our conduct toward our neighbors. Let me say it again. Self-love is the prerequisite. That is, you have got to love yourself before you can love God and your neighbor and is the criterion for our conduct toward one another. That is, the things we do for ourselves, that is exactly what we are to do for other people. That love for self is not only the prerequisite, you have to love yourself before you can love anyone else, or self-love, is the most basic of all loves. And secondly, it is the criteria, he said, by which we judge what we are supposed to do for other people. And let me show you three reasons why he is dead wrong. And that, that is not what Jesus said at all. Number one, there is no third commandment here. When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he didn't say the first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And the third, 
is to love yourself. No, there's no third commandment here. It's love God, love neighbor, love self. There is only two commandments. The second is like unto it, love God and love your neighbor. Secondly, the Bible alone is our criteria for our conduct toward our neighbor. Nothing in us is the standard by which we are to determine how we are to behave toward another person and how we're to love another person. Because our attitudes towards ourselves are, of course, most often selfish and they're often unwise. But the standard that is to regulate our behavior and our attitude in loving other people is to be the Word of God alone. Jesus does not command you to love yourself. He, in fact, presupposes that you do already love yourself more than you should. He said the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you already love yourself. There's a great book that I recommend to you ladies titled Women Helping Women. A Biblical Guide to the Major Issues Women Face. A great book for counseling. In that book, the two female authors deal with self-love, and they say, listen carefully, as a matter of fact, self-love is the impediment to loving God and others as one should. In other words, they are saying self-love is not the prerequisite and criterion for loving other people, but love of self is the great impediment, the great hindrance in your life toward loving God and loving other people. Let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'd recommend that you read this to your friends who like to talk about people loving themselves. It says, realize this. That in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self and various other kinds of terrible things. So you see, one of the things that makes it difficult for Christians in this world to receive the untruncated gospel and why it is difficult to advance God's kingdom is that men are lovers of themselves. That's not our basic need or premise or foundation upon which we build our love for God and man. That is the biggest obstacle on our path to loving God and to loving man. Jesus' command is to love your neighbor as you already love yourself. And as you love yourself right at this particular point. What is he getting at? He's talking about the intensity, the fervency, the amount of love, just as you intensely and fervently love yourself with a lot of love. So turn yourself inside out and just as tensely and fervently give that kind of love to others. Notice the words I keep emphasizing between the two greatest commandments. He said the greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how are the first and the second greatest commandments alike? What did Jesus mean when he said the second is like unto it? Well, there are two ways they are alike. 
One, they are both commands to love. And secondly, the second is like the first in that as God is to be loved with all of who you are and all you have, with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, genuinely, fervently, and wholeheartedly, So you and I are to love our neighbor as wholeheartedly as we love ourselves. That is the command of God to us. To turn ourselves inside out and now love other people as fervently, as sincerely, as wholeheartedly, with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, as we used to love ourselves. And as we now love the living God supremely above all. Listen to what J. Adams said in his great book that I very, very highly recommend to you. The Biblical View of Self-Esteem, Self-Love, and Self-Image. He said, We already have a fervent, dedicated, genuine, and sincere love for ourselves. Now, says Jesus, we are to extend the same amount of love toward our neighbor, Love him as you love yourself. The argument is precisely the same as the argument that Paul makes for a husband loving his wife, just as he already loves his own body. How is this to be done? In the same fervent, nourishing, and cherishing attitude with which a man cares for himself. No one ever hates his own body, but cherishes and nourishes it, end quote. The husband is to turn himself inside out with reference to his wife and start cherishing and nourishing his wife as he once did himself. So when you compare this self-love doctrine with the word of God, we, under, we must understand, as J. Adams said, Love itself is the very end of self-directed, self-concerned, self-centered living. Self-esteem pursuits deflect one's attention from others and thus destroys Christian love. Love that has other directed concerns alone sets us free from self. The Bible teaches that you can't properly relate to yourself until you learn to love others. It's exactly the reverse of the self-love philosophy. Jesus, Jesus disposed of the myth that we can love others after they have first loved us by saying in Luke 6.32, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So when the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, it's not saying love yourself first. Jesus says, as we will see further next week, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. So self-love is not the prerequisite and criteria for loving other people. It is the biggest impediment to loving other people. And if we're going to love other people as ourselves, Then, as Calvin said, we must change self-love into love for neighbor and turn ourselves literally inside out and with the same fervency and intensity 
that we once loved ourselves, we are to give ourselves in the loving of other people. Let me summarize this message today by reading to you an article from John Piper titled, Consider Each Other, How to Stir Up Love. Listen carefully. Christian love is selfless and self-giving and honors the beloved. At the end of verse 10 of Galatians 6, he says, Christian love is selfless and self-giving and honors first the beloved. Love honors the one who loved first, that is, the Lord. Give preference to one another and honor, Paul says. Christians are to be other-centered in other words. Now, other-centered, and listen to this, now other-centered is different than directed, you understand. One socialist has characterized this day and age as an other-directed age. For we look to others, desiring their approval so much that we allow their choices and their lives and their, and their centered and their ways and their patterns to dictate to us what we ought to be doing. Being other-centered is not being other-directed. It's not, it's, it's not having no guts to our own choices and, and priorities and, and no sense of anchoring in the Word of God as opposed to the ways of the world and the way we behave. Being other-centered is not being directed by others. It's being concerned for the well-being of others. It is being driven by a desire to look out for the best interests of someone else other than yourself. That's the kind of other-centeredness that Paul is calling us to here. In this passage, he speaks of it in giving preference to one another in honor. You know, another encouraging thing a minister gets to see is people who minister in the church not because they want a title, not because they want status, not because they want to be recognized, not because they want a plaque on the wall somewhere, but because they genuinely love. Paul is basically saying here, if you genuinely love, if you love like God wants you to love, you will find yourself giving yourself selflessly and preferring others over yourself. I want to say as I look through this description of love during the last couple of weeks. And especially yesterday and the day before as I was meditating on this about myself. I began to wander. Begin to wonder if I had ever loved. So often love is associated with a profound feeling. It may be the love of a husband and a wife. It may be a love of two engaged to be married. It may be the love of a friend and a friend. And in those loves, there is locked up so much of mutual satisfaction that you wonder sometimes how much altruism there is in that love. It may be that there is so much gratification in those love relationships where you are full and completed and complimented and helped that the other directives of that love are minimal. Paul is calling us to other-centeredness and love, to give ourselves away in love. If you've been hurt in love, that can be very hard to do. If you've been hurt and disappointed in the church, that can also be very hard to do. 
Paul doesn't tell you to do this because of the hope that the people that you're loving and caring for, because of the hope that they are going to get it right all the time, or that they are not going to let you down, or that your love is going to be reciprocated or responded to in the way that you hope it will be. He tells you to do this because of what God has done in you. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Because of the spirit he has given you. Romans 12, 3 through 8. And because of what God has done for you. Romans 1 through 11. That makes all the difference. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God. Help us to love and help us to know what it looks like and then grant us the grace to do it even in the face of disappointment because of what you have done for us. May we love others without expecting it to be reciprocated, but do it out of obedience to you and gratitude for the great love you have shown us. And it is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.